Well, good morning. Happy Valentine's Day. I want to wish my, the love of my life, my wife, Sheila, uh, happy Valentine's Day, honey. This is our 33rd uh, Valentine's Day together, not counting the couple of years that we dated in high school. And so uh, happy Valentine's Day, sweetie. And uh, I know you're praying for me. Thank you for that. Um, happy Valentine's Cornerstone and men, a little secret here. If you've not uh, gotten your significant other something, um, I promise when I leave here and I go and pick up Sheila something, I won't tell them I saw you in, in Ralph's buying the same thing I was buying, okay? So uh, I'll keep that a secret. Uh, Billy, the old man comes up to preach and you go way back in the archives and you pull out two oldies. Clean hands and pure heart and breathe. Wow, that was really good. Thank you for that. Um, well, my name's Terry Irwood. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. And this morning, uh, I get to join in with you guys on our third week of our series, Walk as Jesus Walked. And we're seeking to understand um, his ways and we're seeking to understand his heart and then we're initiating that understanding into the way in which we live out our Christian life. So uh, if you haven't been following along, you're not too late. We're only in week three. So you have plenty of time to catch up. And um, you're going to love to read through the Gospels and read the life of Jesus. Today, we're going to be looking at Jesus' response to a very important question. And this question could possibly be one of the most important questions that was asked of Jesus here on earth. And in some form or fashion, we often ask a similar question. It's pretty natural of most of us. And this question has to do with the future. We all wonder at times, right, what the future holds for us. What's around that next corner for us? And depending upon our current circumstances, we have mixed feelings toward what the future is going to hold, don't we? So uh, grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 17. And as you're finding your place there in Luke, let me be totally honest with you this morning, uh, which is always a good thing to hear from a pastor before they're about to say something. Uh, this question that the Pharisees are going to, that they asked Jesus. It's been a question I've asked a hundred times in my Christian walk. Whether it's been in desperate times when life seemed unfair or when the burdens of life just seemed to get really heavy, in times when I wonder if God's real and this story that God's written and he's written me into it, is it really playing out like he has said it's going to play out. And yes, even on those good days, even on those days when everything seems to be great and in line, I tend to ask this question. And it certainly is a question I've continued to ask over the last four decades of my life. Okay, Earwood, get to it. What's the question? The Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him, when is the kingdom of God coming? In the last 11 months, have you asked that question at least one time? I know for me, I've, I've asked it often. 
And I've actually looked for his, his coming and his appearing much more in the last 11 months than I have in the last four decades. You see, the Pharisees, they asked this question because they were wondering, when are we going to be living large and in charge? Have you ever asked God this question? I mean, have you ever asked him, Lord, are you really coming back? Are you bringing the kingdom back? See, from the early days of being a Christian, I've always wondered, and I've even struggled at times to believe Jesus is coming back. Now, before you judge me, let me keep going. To this day, I've heard, I, I, I have a hard time reading the book of Revelation. And I guess it could be the skeptic in me. It could be an immature faith that has a hard time believing. Maybe I just don't want to be disappointed when I get to the end. It has been about 2,000 years since he told the disciples he would be returning. And surely, of all times in history, he knows right now our world is in a big mess. And so, Jesus, are you coming back? Are you coming back? And I've asked this question hundreds of times. But God is so good. And he's loving. And he's patient with me. And he knows exactly what I need to build my faith and my confidence in him. And usually he delivers this timely truth. A reality from his word that encourages me. And it speaks directly to my questions. Have you ever been there? I'm sure you have, right? Where you've had a question and God takes his living and active word and he reveals to us, not necessarily the pinpoint answer we might need at the moment, but he just surrounds that text with, with confidence and faith that we can hope in him. And this is what he's doing and this is what he has done in this passage in Luke, you see over these last 11 months especially, he knew I needed to hit the reset button in, in my heart and in my life. And he knew I needed to be reminded that he's still in control. And it, his plans of establishing his kingdom is still his plan. And it's still on his timetable. And it's still in his control. And so I can rest in him. And so today... I hope that you'll be encouraged. I hope you'll be strengthened in your faith journey as we talk about this great news of Jesus returning and setting up his kingdom. So if you don't get anything else out of the day, here's the takeaway for today. The kingdom of God is coming. Believe it, anticipate it, and live like it. You got it? The kingdom of God is coming. Believe it anticipate it, and live like it. In the passages, we're going to be reading three things I want us to see from this passage. It goes in line with our takeaway today. And the first is that Jesus is going to assure them and us today that he and his kingdom are coming, that we can believe it when he says it. Secondly, because this is true, everyone must be ready. 
We can anticipate his return. And then thirdly, when he comes, judgment will take place. And so now we can live like we know that judgment is gonna take place when his kingdom comes. Before we read the verses, a couple of things that I want us to keep in mind uh, as we look at this passage. You know, I only got 25 minutes or so, so we're just barely gonna scrape the surface. And so I think this will help us. And, and as you uh, take this passage and you chew on it a little bit beyond me and you, you start reading every book ever written on prophecy and all of you guys who are crazy about that kind of stuff, um, this may help you as you're reading and studying further in this. Two things to keep in mind as we go through these verses. Jesus is gonna give a response, a prophetic response. He's gonna give a word of prophecy. And pro prophecy involves predicting the future, but it's also telling something that God has spontaneous, spontaneously brought to the mind. And so prophecy is not given so that we will know every little detail related to the future. And you're gonna see that in the text of the scripture as we read through it. Prophecy, it is given so that we will know how to trust and obey now, not in the future, but now. You can think of prophecy as a map. It tells us where you are right now. It tells you where you are going, and it tells you how to get there. The second thing I want us to keep in mind is this idea of the already, the now and the not yet. And we have talked about this in the past. In fact, I've used it several times in the last couple of messages. Jesus will talk about the present time, the already or the now. And this is referring to the time before his second coming. And this is the time that we're in now. 2,000 years Past this verse here in Luke. Here we are. This is what he's saying in the now. And then the future that is yet to come, he'll speak on that too. And he's referring to the new kingdom. And so more on that, more on that later. So if you got your place, begin reading with me in verse 20. And we'll read through verse 37. Verse 20 17th chapter of Luke. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, or is among you. And he said to the disciples, so he speaks to the Pharisees, and now he turns his attention to the disciples. The days are coming, when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, 
buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with the goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in the night, in the, in the night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So let's go back to verses 20 and 21. And let's look at this question that the Pharisees posed to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, when is the kingdom returning? You see, these Pharisees, these Jewish religious leaders, they wanted to know, just like some of us today. Some of us, we've been looking for this moment for a long time. The Jews, they were too. They were very hopeful of this prophecy. In fact, this promise uh, of the kingdom of God, they were looking at this promise and they were hoping that it would come in their lifetime. They were tired of living under oppression and they were desiring when the king would be ruling and they as a people would be ruling. So there was a lot of anticipation behind this question. Today we hope the same thing, right? We hope that in our lifetime, Jesus will return and we'll get to experience what that's gonna be like. As the Pharisees were hoping that that would happen in their lifetime. You see, they've been waiting for this king to deliver them and to straighten this world out for a long time. So when they said, when's the kingdom of God coming? What did they mean by that? What were they really asking Jesus? Well, this question didn't come out of left field. Now, this was something that they'd been anticipating since the very beginning of their nation, the very beginning of their people. Let me take us back and look at the beginning of God's story. And we'll trace this idea of the kingdom of God all the way up to Luke 17, where we're at today. We'll use this basic definition of the kingdom of God with this. God's people living in God's place under God's rule. So we first see the kingdom of God. What do you think we see the kingdom of God in the Old Testament first? Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve, image bearers of God, living in willing obedience to their creator. And under his rule in this beautiful garden, without any decay, without any death, and without any sin. But we know what happens, right? Chapter three, Adam and Eve sinned, and death has been given to every person. The place was defiled, and their hearts were divided. And the rest of God's story is about restoring a people to himself who are willing subjects of the perfect rule that God will give us in his new kingdom. So after Adam comes, Abraham and Moses, and God makes a covenant with Abraham, and he tells him that all of your descendants will possess the promised land and live under God's rule. 
The story of Israel plays out through Moses leading them out of slavery and up to the promised land. Moses, he sets up this tabernacle and he writes down the commandments. He writes down the law of God. And so now the people are gathered together. They're in a place and they're under the commandments of God, but it doesn't last, does it? No, the people, they didn't want to obey. They wanted to write their own story. Then comes David and his son Solomon, kings of Israel. They built the temple in Jerusalem to replace the tabernacle as God's dwelling place and establish God's authority in the land. But it doesn't last either, does it? Same reasons. They were self-serving. They wanted a kingdom to themselves. So God splits the nation of Israel into the north and to the south. The prophets come on the scene and warn God's people of the consequences from idolatry. Babylon takes over, and we have the Babylonian exile that scatters God's people all over the world at that time. And this is what the prophets, this is what they talked about, and they predicted from this that the Messiah would come and save his people. So the Old Testament, it ends on the note of promise and expectation of the coming kingdom. This followed 400 years of silence after these prophets spoke. And then 400 years from the words of the prophets, Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus comes to earth. And 32 years from his birth, around 32 years, this is where the people are in Luke chapter 17. Now you can get more of a sense of how important this question is. And you can get kind of a, a feel for the meaning behind why the Pharisees would ask Jesus this question. And because of the history of the Jews, Jesus is able to say to them in verse 21, the kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, the kingdom of God is among you. And when he makes that statement, they didn't catch it. It went right over their head. They were looking for a kingdom, and yet they had the very king telling them the kingdom was coming, and they missed it. Watch how this thing unfolds. Let's go back to the kingdom of God, and we're going to trace it back through the same stories that I just went through, and watch how fast. This is so cool how God puts his story together. So we go back to Adam. He was the first man. And through his disobedience, many were made sinners. He brought forth sin and death. Jesus, and this is what you're gonna see as we go through it, and this is why he can make the statement he made in verse 21 that the kingdom of God is among you. Jesus is the second Adam. And by perfect obedience, many will be made righteous. Jesus has defeated sin and he's brought forth everlasting life. He's the second Adam. Jesus was also the perfect offspring to Abraham. Galatians chapter three, verse 16, Apostle Paul says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It doesn't say to his offsprings, plural, 
referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ Jesus. To Moses and the children of Israel, he was a Passover lamb. He was that perfect sacrifice for the people of Israel. Jesus was and is the promised son of David. Jesus is the Messiah, the one the prophets foretold about. Micah and Joel, Isaiah and Jeremiah, just to name a few, that predicted the Messiah would come and when he would come and his kingdom to return. Then you get into the New Testament, the forerunner to Christ, John the Baptist. What does he say? He says, I'm not the Christ. There he is. He points out Jesus. There's your long-awaited Messiah right there. There's the Messiah. There's Jesus, the Christ. You see, all of these realities establish one beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. Jesus is ahead of a new race, the people of God. Watch this. The place is not a building or a temple any longer. It is Jesus himself. And his rule is giving to us through his teaching. Jesus enters into human history. His earthly life, his death, his resurrection from the dead marks the climax of the biblical story. Pretty incredible, huh? Pretty awesome that the Pharisees pose this question to Jesus, looking for the kingdom and the very king of the kingdom is right in front of them, and they don't even recognize him. He says, but I'm here. And not only am I here, but the kingdom is coming. And you can take it to the bank. Look at what he tells them. Look at verse 21. The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is among you. He told the Pharisees, he said, look, it's not coming in ways it can be observed. It's not going to be something that is announced way ahead of time. The kingdom of God will not be accompanied by some spectacular signs in heaven or upon the earth, but it will come suddenly, come without warning. And when he looks to the disciples in verse 22, he says, don't believe every prophecy or every prophetic expert. Look at verse 22. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. Go on to 23. And they will say to you, look there, look here. Do not go out or follow them. What he's saying is, don't go after every person who thinks they're a prophecy expert. Don't look at every event as a possible event that the Lord is coming. Should we be wise? Should we be discerning? Absolutely. Should we be looking for the return? Absolutely. But don't chase, don't be a prophetic chaser. Don't be a prophecy chaser to every whim and, and, and every idea that comes across. He's saying no. He's saying you will know. It's coming. In fact, look at verse 24. For as a lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man 
be in his day. In other words, you'll know I'm coming. And when I come, <laughs> there's gonna be lightning that stretches from one end of the globe to the other. Someone said that's 24,100 mile strikes of lightning. We're gonna know he's coming when he's ready to come. No doubt about it, he's coming. So all of history points to his kingdom coming. So the second thing, if it's coming, and we are sure it is, we better be ready. Look at verses 26 through 33. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop will, with his goods in the house, not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Here's where Jesus introduces this idea of the already, the now, and the not yet. He's saying, you better be ready. We better live every moment like it's our last moment. We better live every moment as if Jesus is returning. And he uses two stories from the history of the Jews that everyone that, that was listening to him would be familiar with. He refers to the days of Noah out of Genesis chapter nine. And most of you, if you're familiar at all with the Bible, you're probably familiar with this story where Noah builds an ark and he warns everybody that the flood's coming and they ignore him and God sends the flood. And in the days of Lot, Genesis chapter 19, um, it's where he rescues Abraham and, I mean, uh, rescues Lot and his wife and his, his daughters. And I'm gonna talk about that in a second. But what he says is, just like those days, they were eating, they were drinking they were getting married. They were buying and they were selling. They were planning and building. In other words, the people in that time, they were going about life involved in ordinary activities. The same activities we go about in our life today. Nothing was necessarily wrong with this until their lives were totally absorbed and fixated on these matters and it took their attention away from God. And it began to refocus all of their attention on the now. In the present, has this ever happened to you? Have you ever been totally absorbed in something or with someone and it distracted you spiritually? Guilty, guilty, guilty. I can't even keep up with all the times that this happened to me. And every time it, it happens, it divides my loyalty to Jesus. 
It challenges my first love of God. It has at times even caused me to lose interest in kingdom business and to be self-focused and self-centered. This is one of the great sins of all time. I, I, I thoroughly believe this. And it certainly is true in the American church today. You see, we go about our daily routine and business like it's owed to us, don't we? If we're not careful, we think that this world owes us. And we think this world owes us today and tomorrow. And we want to be the captains of our own ship. Not only does it owe it, but we want to control it and direct it. And God forbid that something challenging comes and disrupts that, right? That something comes along in our life that throws us off. You see, if we're not careful, as we go about our daily activities of eating and drinking and working and raising a family and doing all those things, nothing, nothing is wrong with those things. But when we're distracted and divided over the kingdom of our heart and the kingdom of God that is ruling, should be ruling our hearts, that's where we've stepped across the line. That's when we become shallow in our lives. That's when our lives are surfacy. And they're built around us and they're built around our stories. They're built around the things that we see as valuable. We become complacent. Now I'm good in my commitment to God right now. I know I should go, but I, 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 I'll, I'll go. I know I should pray, but I, I, I'll, I'll pick it up. I know I should read the word. I know I should be following you guys along in the 70 days. I know I should be there. I'll get there, I promise, I promise. See, we become complacent. We become comfortable. We lose the compassion for the lost. We keep our faith to ourselves because it's comfortable that way. We become skeptical. We lose our joy. We begin to question and complain more than encourage and find solutions. You see, when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we begin to walk in our steps and not his steps, you can see quickly how doing the ordinary activities of life can have no meaning apart from Christ. Well, maybe you're wondering if this might be you. Ask yourself a couple of questions. Here's the first one. Would you be bummed if Jesus returned today? Why? Why? And then the second question. Do you often think about God's kingdom? Do you really think about eternal life? When you do, does it excite you? Does it excite you more than the life currently that you're living? 
Again, I want us to make sure that I'm not a Debbie Downer here and just throwing water on the fire. We're to walk in the steps that Jesus has walked. We're in the now and we're in the fullness of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit and his word. And so there is great joy in our journey. But the reality is we got to stay focused there, not distracted. Well, Terry, these are pretty hard questions. Why would you go there? Verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. Why would Jesus say that? Remember Lot's wife. Why would he pick that part out of the story? Well, as the angels were dragging her out of Sodom and Gomorrah, they were instructed not to look back. Whatever you do, don't look back. And what did Lot's wife do? She looked back. When she looked back, she turned into a pillar of salt. You see, Lot's wife, she was attached to this life. She could not imagine giving up the life that she had. She loved her earthly life. She couldn't see clearly the resources that God would provide if she would just look to him and not to Sodom and Gomorrah. We must be ready. God will rescue us if we'll follow him. A little warning here before we go on. An outward profession or an association with God or with God's people doesn't always mean that there is this inward transformation or this inward difference that happens in our life. In other words, it doesn't mean that we are born again necessarily or that we become a new creation in Christ Jesus just because we're around Christians or we're associated with Christian things. Lot's wife has been a harsh example of hypocrisy for thousands of years. Her heart was toward Sodom. Most of her religious boxes would, were probably checked, but not the most important one. She came as close to deliverance without receiving it as it was possible. But she was not ready. She was not ready to be rescued. <laughs> she was not ready for judgment to happen. She was not ready for God's kingdom to come back. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, the third thing is we must be ready because judgment will happen. Look at verse 34 through 36. It says this, I tell you in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There'll be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. As we see in these verses, there will be a day of dividing. When the time arrives, there will be no opportunity to repent. The pictures of, of two people together, and then they're separated. Two in the bed, two grinding. 
One stays, one goes. What determines who stays and who goes? The judgment of God. When I was not a follower of Jesus, I can remember hearing things like this from church people. And it made me think that God was mad at everyone, especially if you were bad, and I was bad. In fact, you would hear things as brutal as, you're gonna go straight to hell. You're gonna turn, uh, you're gonna burn if you don't turn, right? Um, God's, you're gonna split hell wide open. I mean, everything you could imagine. I would hear these things and I would get with my buddies and we'd be partying and no lie, we, we would talk about partying in hell together because we knew we were all going there. We were all bad. We, there's no way God would forgive us. And so we just kind of amped up our partying and we talked about, hey, won't this be great? Well, we'll all party together throughout eternity in hell. But when I became a believer, I began learning about God's judgment and how through his grace and his love that I would be saved from my judgment against my sins. And it began to give me this healthy fear of God. In fact, I was so stoked, I didn't even have fear of being separated from my creator. I mean, just, just months before, I thought I'd never wanna be with these people. And God transforms my life and begins to do eternal work in me. And now, I can't believe I would be exempt from his judgment. And I would have an opportunity to spend eternity with him. And that he would not separate me because of something that I did or a mistake that I made or a time when I messed up. I didn't have to look over my shoulder for judgment. I was overwhelmed by a heavenly father who consistently and constantly is pursuing a love relationship with me. Ask yourself this question. And this question is not to bring shame or not to put you on a guilt trip. It's just a good reminder for us as we think about the kingdom of God coming. Here's the question. If you knew this would be the last thing you would do before you died, would you do it? If you knew this would be the last thing. Boy, I wish I would have had this question years ago. I think I would have made a lot of decisions different. I think the stories that I would be able to tell now would be a whole lot different than the stories I'm telling. Now, God uses every story. He redeems every moment. But boy, my stories could be different. And your story 
could be different as well. So, are you convinced? Are you confident that the kingdom is coming? Are you ready for Jesus to come? Are you ready? Are you anticipating him to return? And then are you living like it? Are you living in his grace? Are you living in his word? Believing and knowing that you are secure in your father's arms. Let me close with this. So from this passage, knowing that God's kingdom is coming, how is Jesus telling us to live out our lives here and now in this broken place? Here it is. You want to know how he's telling us? Just like he did. That's how. Just like he did. And this is the theme of our current series. Walk as Jesus walked. How did Jesus walk? He was faithful to the Father. Are you faithful to the Father? He lived each day by faith. One moment at a time. One decision at a time. Filled and led by the Holy Spirit. Surrendered to the Father's will. He didn't know the time. Filling his mind and filling our mind with the promises of the word and the promises of the Father. And to fill our hearts full of his love. You see, Jesus assures us that this can happen because God has given us his Holy Spirit to live within us and to transform our lives. And Jesus said, I must go away so that the Spirit of God can come. And when he comes, he's gonna abide in you and in you. He's gonna reveal to you the truth of God, the truth from the Father, and he's gonna bring glory to the Father. The kingdom of God is coming. Believe it, anticipate it, and live like it. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you are coming and you are coming back with the kingdom that we will one day be a part of for all eternity. Oh, Lord, let us be kingdom-minded. But let us not be so kingdom-minded that we're not any earthly good. Take every, every promise and every word that you spoke in this text today and shape our thoughts and shape our minds and shape our actions as we leave here today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.